Make sure I remember to turn that on. Last time I preached, it took me two minutes to figure that out. And I'm like, no one's going to listen to this um, message on Facebook. After a minute, they hear nothing. Um, just see me rambling. They're going to turn it off. So I thank the Lord for helping me remember that this time. All right, can you all hear me good? All right, well, you can be turning to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. And while you're getting there, you know, I just want to say it, it just constantly amazes me how God works. You know, it hasn't been that long ago since I last preached. And if you remember when I came up then, I said, you know, I was between two different messages the last time. And I just really wasn't sure, you know, I'm not called to preach. I don't have just a bunch of messages laying around, you know. Sometimes God puts some stuff on my heart and I try to write it down and study it out and stuff and so I had two different thoughts that the Lord had given me, and, and I even contacted uh, Pastor Hope. Like, hey, brother, you know, what do you think about these two? Oh, they both sound good. Huh? You're not much help. Um, but the Lord directed me to preach that message on free will and election. And unbeknownst to me, we had a visitor in that service that really needed to hear that message. And then tonight, this consequently is that second thought. That God had given me. And guess what? It lines up right along with the series that our pastor has just started, this quick series on a Christian and our battles. And so, again, it just amazes me how God works things out. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not amazing myself whatsoever. I'm amazed at what God does and how God works things out. And I'm amazed that God uh, wants to use me in this way in these uh, couple of opportunities I've had to uh, bring a message but let's, uh, again, let's read 1 Peter 5, 8. It says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I do thank you again for this evening. I thank you for the opportunity to stand uh, in your pulpit, Lord, and uh, to bring a message that you have laid on my heart, uh, many months ago, and I just appreciate, Lord, the, the fact that you're using me to be able to bring a message and to be able to uh, maybe help out our pastor a little bit as he's <clears throat> dealing with so many different things, especially on Sundays. I pray that you continue to be with him and his family, continue to strengthen them, continue to give them wisdom in all things. And uh, Lord, I just uh, pray again that you will use me tonight, Lord, be with us. Pray that you'll speak to my heart, speak to everyone's heart here, and I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that's lost, that you'll save them. And Lord, just help us to, um, through these series of messages, to just um, be able to get through the battles that we face with our eyes and our hearts focused on you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, you may be seated. <clears throat> you see, this particular verse, 1 Peter 5, 8 well, this could be a really scary verse to the Christian, can it not? I mean, here it talks about the devil and it's comparing him to a lion. And Satan is the one real enemy of God's people. And here when it compares him to a lion, you know, I, I think about a lion. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to come face to face with a lion. You know, even in the zoo, when they're behind a cage, they're still a scary, scary beast, are they not? I mean, they're huge. 
They're strong. They're fast. You know, I notice, uh, you know, you see some of those National Geographic specials and you see they have those huge paws and the big claws on each of those paws. And you, and you see them as they hunt their prey and how they attack. And they bring down these huge, like, wildebeest and things. And then sometimes they bring down these really fast antelopes. I mean, these things are strong and they're fast. Big teeth. I looked up a little bit of facts about a lion and it says lions have a bite force of about 650 PSI or pounds per square inch. That's a very powerful bite. And it says they are the second strongest big cat in the world. They're about four times stronger than humans. Now, again, I don't know about you, but I do not want to face a lion in the wild. But here is the word of God saying that our adversary, the devil, is as a lion. But not just a lion, it, it, it continues to describe him as a roaring lion. Now to me, there's nothing in the animal kingdom like the roar of a lion. When you hear that, you know, even in, in video, it's, it's very intimidating. It's a very scary roar. I mean, it stops animals, big beasts in their tracks to think that a lion might be nearby. <clears throat> and so here is Satan, again, has this roaring lion. So he's very intimidated. We know that Satan is, is very strong, very powerful, very intimidating. <clears throat> and we see at the end of this verse what his ultimate goal is, and that is to devour us as God's people. He wants to destroy us. He wants to bring us down. He wants to take us, and he wants to take our families, and he wants to take this church, and he wants to destroy it all. <clears throat> and so this verse could be very scary. Except there's one little word in this verse that really changes the whole trajectory of the verse. And I think you all know where I'm going with this. But it's that little word, may. Now, when it <clears throat> brings forth this idea of whom he may devour, that brings an idea of permission. Satan cannot just do whatever he wants, or else that verse would read, whom he will devour. But Satan has to seek permission, so that's why it says, whom he may devour. Now, there is no place that pictures this better than the book of Job. And so let's turn over there to the book of Job, chapter 1. <clears throat> <clears throat> Look at Job chapter 1. We'll start in verse 6. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face." Now, we all know the rest of the story. We know that um, 
God allows him to do this. In fact, let's read verse 12. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. So Satan proceeded to um, really come and, and put Job through a battle. I mean, Job lost all of his, his financial uh, gains that he had with all of his animals, his herds, his flock. He lost all that. He lost his family, his children, you know, in a, in a horrible accident. And uh, so he lost all that he had. But we know in the scripture here that Job had, a, had, had the right view of losing everything. Remember, he says it was God's to give and God's to take away. He had, he had the right attitude. But then we see in chapter 2, it doesn't just end there. No, Satan continues. He keeps going. So Job chapter 2 says, Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, uh, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And still he holdeth fast, or holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath he will give for his life. Put forth, but put forth thine hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. And so again, as we see, Satan comes before God again when he didn't get the result that he was uh, anticipating. And this just goes back to what our pastor was saying, that Satan is not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. He's not all-powerful. He's not God. And here he is challenging God, saying, Well, if you take your hand away from Job, I mean, yeah, it's easy to serve you when you've got a hedge of protection about him and everything he does, you bless. And you take that away and he'll curse you. Well, he didn't do it. And then so, you know, Satan's not going to give up. So he comes back and says, well, you know, skin for skin, man will do anything for his life. So if you touch that, then he's going to curse you again. You know, Job was an object lesson to Satan that God used for Satan. Now, I hope and pray that I'm never an object lesson for Satan. Okay, for, for God to use. But that's what Job was. And, and God was showing Satan once again that, hey, you don't know everything that you think you know. I know it all. I know what my servant will do and won't do. But what we see here brings this 1 Peter 5, 8 to life in this seeking whom he may devour. <clears throat> because we see that all the sons of God, even Satan himself, they have to present themselves before the Lord. They have to stand and give an account. And what we also see here is that when God asks a question, he says, where have you been? What have you been doing? What does Satan do? He answers. He's got no choice but to answer God. And then we see here that Satan could do nothing that God did not allow. <clears throat> where God placed a boundary... The first time he said, you know, everything that he has is in your hands, but him. Guess what? Satan could do everything 
but touch Job. There was a line. There was a boundary that Satan couldn't cross. The second time, he says, okay, you've, you've uh, protected him, you know, him physically. Now you take that away and see what happens. Well, God says, okay, fine. You can, you can touch him, but can't take his life. Guess what? Satan affected him. If I remember correctly, he had boils from the bottom of his feet to the top of his head. You know what that means? That means no peace, no, no, uh, no time of uh, being able to you know, stand anywhere, sit anywhere, lay anywhere to get any type of relief from the pain. No matter what position he was in, he was in pain. And, and you know, you can read through the book of Job. You know, there's many times that Job wished he was, he was dead. He felt like he was dying. But he never did because... There was a boundary that God had placed that Satan couldn't cross. You see, the title of my message tonight is two reasons that we can have confidence in God in our battles or our trials. And reason number one that we can have confidence in God is because every trial we face has been approved by God and is in His total control. And that no matter what we go through, that Satan cannot go over any boundary that God puts in place. Now, when we really get a hold of that, then there are some verses in the Bible that can really become more alive to us. For instance, 1 Corinthians 10.13. I'll give you a minute to, to turn over there if you like. 1 Corinthians 10.13. It says, there hath no temptation, and that temptation means a trial or a proving, uh, proving, taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. You see, how can God not allow us to be tempted above more than we're able, except he be in total control of the trial or battle we're in. See, that's the key. He's in control. He sets the boundaries. He sets the rules. And so he can place the boundaries where we know we, we where he knows we cannot handle going beyond. And so God can make sure that we don't suffer anything that we can't handle. We can know that there's always a way for us spiritually to get through the trial, the proving, because God is in control. And then it makes Romans 8.28 even more alive. Most of us are familiar with that verse. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Well, God can make sure that all these things work together for good because he's in control of the trial. He's in control of the battle. And so he will work it out to good. And we can have confidence in that tonight. Now, for reason number two, I'm going to switch up here and, and look at David versus Goliath. And, um, you know, that account is in 1 Samuel chapter 17. You know, this 
this event, now we know it to be a true story, but this event has really become so popular. This idea of David versus Goliath has not, it's, it's become part of our pop culture. I mean, you hear it a lot in, in the sports world. You know, I mean, if the Cincinnati Reds ever make it to a, another playoff or another World Series, um, and especially if they face someone like the, you know, New York Yankees, or the Boston Red Sox, all you're going to hear going up to that game is this David and Goliath story. You know, the little old Reds with, you know, small market team, little to no payroll against the big Yankees or Red Sox that, you know, just outspend us by millions. It's, it's again, entered into our culture. It's an underdog sports story. <clears throat> if you're around in, I believe it was the 80s, you know, the Olympics, the Winter Olympics, when the uh, United States hockey team, who were the big underdogs, when they came up against the Russian hockey team in the, the gold medal. Actually, I think that wasn't even the gold medal. I think that was the game before that to get to the gold medal game. But that was a David versus Goliath because Russia and hockey, man, they were, they were it. You know, and, and the United States, if you ever watched the movie Miracle of the United States, they, they won. They beat the Goliath Russian team. You know, but that's how popular this story has become. But again, we know it's not just a story. It's, it's historical fact. But when I think about David versus Goliath, one of the things that really surprises me is just how confident that David was. You know, here's a young man. Wasn't even old enough to be in the army. You know, he was out watching his father's sheep. He just come to bring his brother some, some food. And then when he hears this, you know, uncircumcised Philistine, you know, he gets all up in arms. Talking about how is this man talking about the armies of the living God, you know? And I don't know when it was exactly that David finally got eyes on Goliath. You know, at some point he saw him for the first time. But we get no indication from God's word that it ever deterred him one bit with the confidence that he had. And I just, I find that so amazing just, you know, how, how David, this young man, could just be so confident coming against this, this giant. Now, here we have Goliath. You know, this man was such a warrior that the entire Philistine army was willing to place the, the outcome of the entire battle in his hands. They said, we'll put our strongest, fiercest warrior against, you know, anybody in, in, in the whole um, Israel army. And, and we'll put that battle in their hands. They were willing to do that. That means they had quite a bit of faith in Goliath. And when you look at Goliath, now through the years I've, I've you know, studied out exactly how tall he was. And there's different numbers depending upon where you look because, you know, I guess there's different measurements for a cubit and a span, what one means as opposed to another. And I actually just read one in Matthew Henry's commentary that said he could have been upwards of over 11 feet tall, 11 feet, four inches to be exact. This one man uh, came up with, that's a large, large man. I mean, you know, I'm a wrestling fan from back in the day. I remember Andre the Giant, you know, he was like eight foot, something like that, 500 some pounds, huge man. But this guy made him look like, you know, us, <laughs> you know, he was a big man. And, you know, today we see a lot of people that are like seven foot, seven foot something. They're skinnier than a rail. You know, you 
about poke them and they'll fall over. That wasn't Goliath. Let me tell you, because this man had armor. He had a huge amount of armor, and it was made of brass. Now, brass is, you know, very, very heavy material. And so this was a big man. This was no little skinny, you know, 11-foot rail. No, this was a large man, very strong man. And he had, um, you know, a, a sword and a spear. And here's little David. Didn't even go out there with armor on. Remember Saul tried to put his armor on him and it just fell off? But everyone else was afraid. The whole of Israel's army was afraid to step out against this man. David's own brothers were afraid. In fact, they were so afraid that they ran him down the road because he had the, the guts to say something. Remember one of his brothers got, got really mad at him because he was opening his mouth. I guess they were afraid that his mouth might get them in the line of fire, but they were afraid. Even King Saul. Now, this is the days when the kings went out to battle too, you know. They, they didn't just sit around idle. They fought. And if you remember about Saul, when he was made king in 1 Samuel 9, 2, we find that Saul wasn't a small man himself. In fact, one of the reasons they picked him is because he had the look of a king. Because it says from his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. Saul wasn't a small man. He wasn't little by any stretch of the imagination. He was a, a big guy himself. But yet here he was, afraid to face Goliath. But why was David so confident? You know, Saul even wondered that. Saul didn't understand why this little boy was, was coming up and willing to fight this man. But David explains to him exactly why he had the confidence. And that brings us into reason too. David was confident because God had given him previous victories over equally deadly enemies. We find in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 34 to 36. Let's turn over there. <clears throat> Let's start in um, verse 33, actually. It says, And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. So this, you know, not only is he huge and big, but this man has been bred to fight since he was born. David says this, David said unto Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them seeing he had defied the armies of the living God. You see, David looked back and he was telling Saul, hey, look, I have faced monsters before. And each time God has given me victory. Now, you know, we talked a little bit about lions, but now we have a bear that's entered into the mix with David. And I was looking up a little bit about bears, and, you know, bears can be up to 10 feet tall. 
on their hind legs. Now, that's not much smaller than Goliath. But on top of that, they have the strength or can have the strength of up to five normal men. And they have a bite force that's actually stronger than a lion's. And some can run as fast as 35 miles per hour and can maintain a speed of 25 to 28 miles per hour for two miles. Now, there's no man that can match that. Now, Goliath may have been a little bit taller. Goliath may have had the strength of, I don't know how many men he had the strength of. Maybe it was five. But I can about guarantee you that Goliath would not have been able to run 35 miles per hour <laughs> or be able to keep up a pace of about 25 to 28 miles per hour for two miles. <clears throat> so when you look at that, a bear and a lion, with, to me at least, now again, I haven't seen Goliath. I didn't come face to face with him. But to me, a bear and a lion, would be, I would be much more afraid to face them than any man. <clears throat> you know, I like to watch some of those Alaska shows, you know, where people live off the grid or they live out in the middle of nowhere. And I like to watch survival shows, you know, where people, are, again, are out and they're uh, trying to just survive by themselves. <clears throat> in fact, there's a show called Alone. I know some of you brothers have uh, got into that show and like it, but <clears throat> it's a really cool show if you, if you haven't seen it. But it's a contest where they take about 10 different people, and most of these people have all kinds of background and, you know, survival, you know, in the wilderness and all these things. They, you know, they know how to take sticks and rub them together, make fire, and, they, you know, all this stuff. And they take these people, and they go out, and they, they drop them off by themselves in the middle of nowhere in different places around the world. And the people, you know, there's 10 of them, they drop them off miles apart, they have no idea what anybody else is doing. And they have a, just a few items that they're allowed to take with them to help them with, you know, hunting and fishing and stuff like that. And some of these people have been out there for months. And they, they never know when one of the other contestants has bowed out. Nobody knows. They're only given a, a satellite phone when they want to call in to say, hey, I'm, I'm tapping out. You know, I'm giving up. Now, many of them do that, um, and then there are some, they come and do medical checks on them, you know, make sure they're doing all right, because sometimes they go weeks without eating hardly at all. And so, you know, they come check them out, and their health is bad, and they say, we got to take you out for health reasons and stuff. But the last person standing gets $500,000. That's a lot of money. So I'm thinking it's going to take, you know, sometimes these people are, they're really bad off. They've lost like 60, 80, 90 pounds you know, before they're pulled out by medical professionals, you know, and, and, and they don't even want to go out then. They, they want to stay. They, this idea of winning this money is big. But what's happened a number of times is they've dropped these people into bear-infested areas. And you know what? I've never seen more people that really know what they're doing, survival-wise, that will pick up that satellite phone faster than when they see a bear in the area. Now, obviously, you know, they're not in places where there's lions usually. <laughs> um, but bears, it, these are the alpha predator where they're at. And any time one of them runs into a bear that's pretty close to their camp and where they've been dropped off, there's been many times, just after a few days, maybe after a week, 
they will call and say, yeah, I'm, I'm tapping out. I'm not taking a chance. You know, my life is not worth this money. So that tells you just how dangerous, you know. And again, these Alaska shows, you know, their biggest fear in Alaska is these bears that come into where they're at and, and attack. You know, and that's these that's people carrying around big guns, you know, with uh, just ammunition to be able to, you know, kill them and, and fight them off. But they're scared of bears. You know, bears are no joke. But here we have David, a young man, a young shepherd boy who, with his hands, defeated a lion and a bear. And so this Goliath was nothing to him. <clears throat> you know, I think about myself and, you know, I've been cancer free for the past 12 years. And I thank the Lord for that. But you know, in this 12 years, I've had many, many times where I've worried about money. I've worried about, you know, some of you know we... My wife and I both bought cars at the same time, same dealership, and I would never buy from this dealership ever again. The, the cars have been just a pain in the neck. We finally got rid of hers, um, but it's just always something with our vehicles. And I spent time worrying about those stupid cars. You know, oh, it's broke down again. How are we going to get it fixed? How are we going to pay for it? All this stuff. And then when I do that and I think about, you know, that two-year period, especially when I was you know, diagnosed with cancer, going through chemotherapy, and all the things that God did, all the answered prayers, all, all the, 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 the many battles that my wife and I faced and my, and my parents going through it as well, you know, all those things we faced that God brought us through, it just makes you feel silly that you would worry about things now when you can look back and see all the victories God has given you in the past. You know, God often had to remind the children of Israel of the past victories, you know, when they were coming up to another battle. You know, how many times did he remind them that he's the one that delivered them from Egypt? He's the one that parted the Red Sea, that he's the one that brought the water from the rock, that he's the one that helped them defeat the Midianites and the Philistines and the city of Jericho, you know, all these that were against all odds and, and miracle victories, but God had to remind them. We see David there himself many times as our pastor's been going through the book of Psalms. You know, how many chapters have we went through where at the, at the beginning, he's like, oh man, you know, these enemies are roundabout. Then about halfway through, he starts remembering all the victories from the past. Every other time that the enemy was at his doorstep and God intervened. And then by the end of that chapter, he's like, well, praise God. I don't have to worry about it because God's in my corner. So we can have confidence in God when we face a battle because we can look back at all those past victories. God has given, and every single one of us here can do that. Amen? And so in conclusion, again, our, our two reasons for confidence in God is that, number one, whatever trial or battle we're going through, God has allowed it. God has set the boundaries. Uh, it's in his hands we know God will not give us more than we can handle, and God will work it together for good. Second, we can look back at our other victories and know God can and will be with us through this current battle. And last thing I want to say here, you know, lions are mentioned a number of times in God's word, and it's kind of a, a trial or a battle. You know, we talked about, you know, Satan being compared to a lion. We talked about David facing the lion and the bear. You know, Samson, remember Samson faced the lion? 
course, he had, you know, super strength <laughs> as long as he had his hair, and he just uh, tore that lion to pieces. But then also we have Daniel. Remember little Daniel thrown into the lion's den? But you know, each one of those lions have been put under subjection of God. Because let's not forget, we serve the Alpha and the Omega Lion. He's the Lion of Judah, our Lord. Now let's pray. Dear Lord, we do... uh, Thank you for the service. Thank you for using me. And I just pray, Lord, that this message will just give us confidence through any battles that we face, any trials that we go through, Lord. Lord, I'm so thankful that you're in control even of what Satan does. That Satan cannot move without your permission. Satan cannot go beyond any boundary you set. Lord, we know that you have our best interest. We know that you will work together things for good. And so we know, Lord, that... um, you will provide through the trials. I just pray that we'll keep our eyes on you. Keep our thoughts on you, Lord. And like has been said, you know, a lot of times we wait to give things up to you till we've already tried everything we can and have totally exhausted ourselves. And if we just do that from the beginning, Lord, that will save us a lot of heartache and a lot of worry and a lot of stress. And I pray, Lord, for anyone here going through a struggle or trial right now, just help them to give it to you. And Lord, uh, watch over us this evening. And again, thank you for this opportunity. And thank my pastor for allowing me this opportunity and for the church as well. And I just pray that you'll uh, bless this invitation. Jesus, I pray. Amen.